Okay. <clears throat> How you doing today, Reggie? All right. Let's get situated here. All set to go. Very good, sir. Okay. Hopefully that music last the last podcast. The music still comes a little. I don't know why. What that? But there's something wrong. But it is what it is. Hope I haven't heard anything from anybody listening, so maybe it's just my ears that it's not hitting fast enough, so there's no little dead air between my final line and when the music starts. Maybe I'm just a nit- nitpicker. I don't know. but y- y- We know, I know, you know that, that music should be right there as soon as I finish talking. But if the audience doesn't mind it, I, I still mind it, but if they're not complaining, then no big deal. <laughs> But we still should try to figure out what it is. All right, here we go. Put it in the books, number uh, 329, episode 329. I'll give you the um, three S's and the countdown, and you give me the music, and I'll give you a podcast. All right? Here we go. <clears throat> Blah. Okay? Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget, if you do go somewhere else to uh, find the podcast, subscribe to this podcast and rate it. But most importantly... Get out there and sell it. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much, much, much appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com. Hit the podcast prompt and hit the prompt for this specific podcast. And my gosh, what will come pouring out? A landslide of podcasts just ready for you to dive into, to submerge yourself in, to drown in. Dating back to May of 2016. We've been doing this a while here, folks. So much so that there's at least 328 podcasts back there for you to listen to and get up to date. But you can't get more up to date than right now. Episode 329. So... Don't know, don't know if you've been um, watching, paying attention to, reading about, however you digest your daily intake of interesting facts and or news. But we, once again, as a country, United States, uh, is aggressively expanding and looking toward the heavens. Yes. 
we are becoming more and more involved once again in space travel. We've always been involved in space travel over the last, what, 50-some years? Actually, going back into the 60s, over 60 years, when you think about the initial space flights going into space and um, traveling around the Earth, traveling around the moon, and then finally in 1969, in July, landing on the moon. And we've done it several times since. Throughout the 80s and 90s, there was the space shuttle program. And now, once again, it's been a long, I think it's going to be a long, long time, as Bernie Taupin, lyricist for Elton John, so acutely prophesized 50 years ago now, this year, in fact, when he wrote Rocket Man. I think it's going to be a long, long time. It's been a long, long time since man has been on the moon. Uh, I was just a little kid, but I do remember the uh, the frenzy that went on that man kind was able to leave its own planet its own atmosphere and go to not another planet obviously it was another planet but it certainly is another heavenly body if you will another body in the in our galaxy in the universe and uh, wow that that shook the earth it didn't spin off its axis thankfully but um it was earth shaking and and i've talked about this a little bit before but um thankfully my mom was a pack rat and um for her generation especially this was just unbelievable um because you know we went from in my parents lifetime i mean they certainly saw the the not the beginnings but the the, the certainly the uh, the advent of commercial uh air travel where it went from being something that uh was somewhat experimental to becoming something that was commonplace and the idea of expanding that just flying over our land mass, 30, 40,000 feet, to go into space, uh, wow. I mean, when you think about what a big deal it was for the explorers in the early centuries, Columbus, obviously, 1492, and others, to just get in a boat, and, and the Vikings, Leif Erikson, you know, to, uh, to get into a boat and sail and find things and explore but wow to you know it's one thing you know, at least the water's there you can see that but wow to 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 be so bold as to think you can go into space and land on the moon but then to actually do it wow and ironically <laughs> as huge of a step forward in the progress of the human species on earth the moon landing was and of course with everything it became political and it became a contest and and you never know uh, that may be spurring this again if you don't know your history books 
Uh, we were in a space race, and uh, John F. Kennedy, at the beginning of the decade, when he was just taking over as president, when he was inaugurated in 1961, he made a very bold prediction and set a goal for this country to say that by the uh, by the end of the decade, that's how he talked when his... <laughs> His Massachusetts accent. Era, boy, the end of the decade, we will go, we will have a man on the moon. And look, politicians have certainly made grandiose predictions and things have been delayed. Here in Chicago, we have a park right on Michigan Avenue called Millennium Park, which was being developed. There was, it was just kind of an eyesore right in the downtown area, beautiful spot. Uh, but it was an eyesore for many years. Just kind of sat there. There's train tracks. There's just nothing happening there. And so the, not so much the city fathers, but some of the more connected and uh, affluent citizens of Chicago got together in connection with the city, but mostly a private donation and a privately funded project was called Millennium Park. And the whole idea was that Millennium Park would be opening for the millennium. When we went from the from one century to another. From 19, well, actually, officially, yes, there was all that hubbub. What was the official beginning of the millennium? Was it the year 2000 or was it 2001? Because there was no year zero, all that anyway. Regardless, my point is, that um, it was called Millennium Park, and now, 20 years later or so, uh, almost 20 years, although not exactly, and that's my point, um, it's called Millennium Park, and it's assumed by everybody that it was opened for the millennium. Well, in fact, it wasn't. It didn't open before the millennium it didn't open right after the millennium it was a couple of years after the millennium so my point is that uh even though it had that name on it um that didn't mean that it actually met its goal that was the goal but as we all know these big projects usually take time and so that's what was what was so amazing about the the space race because the russians actually took everybody by by surprise and that's what really lit a fire under us a, a rocket fire if you will when the uh, the russians sent up a, a sputnik satellite into space and we here we were in this cold war this competition between communism and democracy between socialism and democracy which still goes on today that's all we're hearing about now how our democracy is at risk and how a lot of social programs a lot of people in fact one of the people that ran for president last time uh, a couple of times bernie sanders is an avowed socialist and uh, did pretty well in the primaries um you know didn't didn't really come close to beating Hillary Clinton, but certainly gave her a run for her money. Was popular enough that it may have siphoned off enough of her support that that's why she didn't beat Donald Trump, which is one of the biggest upsets in American political history. But anyway, back in the uh, in the late fifties, when um, when Russia sent up this Sputnik, 
into space, uh, it, it really caught us by surprise. And suddenly, you know, there was a, there was a lot of tit for tat. There was a lot of, you, you know, we're better than you and our society is better than yours. And that's what the Cold War was really all about. And a lot of that was was played out on the world stage in, in competitions to show which, which culture, which society, which ideology was better. And, uh, and while there was always a threat of war, and especially nuclear war back in the 60s and, and 70s and 80s, and still today, certainly, but not as much as it was back in the 60s and, and 70s and 80s when the temperature was really uh, turned up in terms of tensions between Russia and the United States. But it was always these other kind of uh, competitions, if you will. Of course, the, the, the Olympics were, were a four year, every year were a four year, uh, you know, competition to show which country was better. And there was always this huge, uh, you know, anticipation. That's, I think, one reason why the Olympics don't really have the cachet as they used to anymore. Because in the, the the Olympics really grew in popularity. They've always been somewhat popular, but they became very popular in the 60s uh, and the 70s and the 80s uh, because the Cold War uh, was so uh, intense. And so there was this annual four-year big show this big competition it was almost like uh, the roman gladiators uh, getting together every four years for bragging rights of the world and it was always russia and the soviet union uh, specifically against the united states and there was always the medal counts and and that still exists but it's not as intense as it was if you think if, if depending how old you are if you think that there's a competition between countries right now for superiority you might get some of that feel but you really if you were if you were around in the 70s and 80s and especially the 80s when the, the United States hockey team beat Russia in hockey which was a huge upset um i mean it 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 really it it was one of the mo- at that time it was Almost as if it was like it was described by Al Michaels, the sportscaster at the time. A miracle. Do you believe in miracles? And and the 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 U.S. pride out of that win in hockey to beat the Soviet Union. Um, I've only seen that a couple of times in my life. I wasn't around, obviously, for World War II. Um, from the pictures I've seen, there was a uh, quite a bit of uh, of uh, you know chest pounding during the end of World War II. But uh, certainly when the United States won the gold medal in hockey and actually didn't beat the Russians for the gold medal, they beat Finland for the gold medal, but they had to get through Russia to get to the finals, and they never were expected to do that. Uh, The patriotism in this country was the, the biggest and most and I'm using that word again, intense, as, as I've, ever, I've ever seen. The only other time I've, I've, I've seen it as intense, well, two times since then in my lifetime. There's no question, um, the 1980 hockey team winning was a huge boost because America at that time was really going through uh, a tough time morale-wise. Uh, there is Watergate you know, in the seventies. You know, it was there was 
60s and 70s, a very uh, a time of much turmoil, turmoil and tumult, which is very, which is similar to today's world, you know, 50 years later. But you had Vietnam in the late 60s, going into the 70s. Finally, didn't leave, didn't end until 1975. You had the Watergate scandal, which then led to uh, Richard Nixon's res- resignation, the first time a U.S. president ever resigned from office. You had high inflation, very difficult for people, uh, jobs. Um, U.S. morale was low, certainly in the late 70s then, uh, when the uh, hostages were taken, U.S. hostages were taken in the Iranian embassy and were, were captive for, uh, for at least two to three years, over two years. And, um, and it felt like America was held hostage. Here we were, the, 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 you know, most powerful or one of the most powerful countries in the world, and yet this smaller country had our people and we weren't able to get them out. So there was a lot of um, disappointment and um, and just kind of a malaise was the word that was being used uh, at the time, especially during Jimmy Carter's presidency. Um, and so when the United States beat Russia, oh my gosh, what a, a, a morale boost it was for the country. And, and, I, and I would argue, because certainly in the 80s, um, after the first couple of years of the decade, um, the 80s became a high-flying time for America. And by the end of the decade, the Soviet Union was done. So... Uh, you can make an argument that that hockey game, that one hockey game in 1980, ultimately, you can have a dotted line that within 10 years after the U.S. beat Russia, beat the, the Soviet Union in that hockey game, there was no more Soviet Union. And I think you can make a connection, a corollary between those two. It was a huge, a huge win not only for the American hockey team, but for American pride. And uh, we started to win on a roll during the 80s. Um, So it's been a long time coming, but we always seem to need these competitions in order to spark us. And so my point is that uh, we had the space race in the 60s with Russia, and they they um, they put actually the first man in space, too, Gagarin was the first cosmonaut. We have astronauts, of course. They can't have the same word, right? Of course, we have to. There's always a competition, even for labels. Russian Russia does not have the Soviet Union. Russia they do not have astronauts. They have cosmonauts. We have astronauts. <laughs> That's how petty we are. And um, but so that's what uh, that's what really has always sparked us was competition. And so once the uh, the Soviets got into space with a man, I mean, we couldn't be looked looked at like we were second best. And so Kennedy made this very bold statement that we would, by the end of the decade, we would go and have a man on the moon. And it was a space race. And uh, with only, what, about five months 
before the deadline, we made it there in the end of July of 1969. And many people believe that, you know, talking about not making those predictions and how political predictions often um, are grandiose when they are made and they are off, they are not very often met by the deadline that they set. But this one was, and and I think it, it would be interesting if John Kennedy had not been killed. If John Kennedy had served out his term and perhaps been reelected to a second term, he still would not have been president by the end of the de- of the end of uh, the decade, right? Because um, he was elected in '60, so he would have gone out in 1968. And um, so, who knows if, even with his two terms, if he had had two terms, if we would have gotten there. But because he passed away, he was because he was not passed away, he was killed, so because he was assassinated, and because it became such a, a, a watershed moment uh, for the country, we were so dedicated to making JFK's prediction come true, uh, and especially during the 60s, when the, the Cold War was certainly uh, turned up, the heat was turned up, and let's not forget that Kennedy himself was in a uh, a very controversial moment um, with uh, with the Soviet Union and and a nuclear war potentially with the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, early in his pre- his presidency. So, to 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 get a man on the moon was not only a huge step for man and mankind, as Neil Armstrong said, but uh, it was also um, a tribute to JFK to his memory. And it was also uh, a way for us to prove our superiority over the Soviet Union. And, um, and so we got up there, and we got on there first, and, uh, and we still are first. But then, ironically, throughout the 70s, um, going to the moon became somewhat blasé. Well, we, we proved we could do it and just going back there again and seeing the, the astronauts hitting golf balls or maybe driving around on a, on a, on a, on a moon, uh, you know, Jeep or something didn't really cut it anymore because that competition wasn't there. And so we stopped going to the moon in the 70s. And then we started the space shuttle program. And, of course, there was some controversy with that in the in 1986 when the challenger space shuttle exploded and uh, you know the whole space program and nasa was then questioned so there was a a lot of uh you know skepticism there on the country and don't forget nasa is a governmental agency taxpayer money funds it and so where the public is so goes NASA. Where public opinion is, where the public feels that it's a good use of money to be spent because NASA's bills are very high. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a few bucks to get to the moon or it takes a few bucks to get to space. But thankfully, our, it's in, it's in, it's, I think it's in our DNA. It's always been in the human being species to want to explore, to push ourselves. There was all, there were always visionaries and dreamers, whether they were those first explorers who were went on boats or ships or the, the first 
cave people that ventured out of their caves. There was, there's always been a wonder lust. There's a lust. There's always been a, a sense of what else is out there. And we've been able to penetrate and really go out there. And now this year, especially, uh, we have the James Webb telescope, which was just, is just started now to, uh, was, was, was launched last Christmas time and has begun to send back pictures. And, uh, certainly the, um, astronomy, field and anyone involved with space is uh, very excited uh, by the pictures that this telescope is bringing back it's taking photos of of uh, the universe that we've never seen before and it's totally going to change textbooks and and it's going to change our our uh, our level of knowledge and maybe have to re readjust theories on things because this telescope is showing us uh, parts of our universe that we never saw and it's going to be giving us some amazing information um, over the years uh, and really changing the way that we look at the universe and how it it survives how it how it exists and maybe even gives us more insight as to how it was first formed and of course, the age-old question about, is there any other life out there? So certainly, um, over the last several years, with um, especially a couple of private firms owned by people with a heck of a lot of money, because as I said before, space travel comes with a high price tag, but Jeff Bezos of Amazon and Elon Musk has SpaceX, and Bezos has um, his Blue Origin um, space project. Um, they've gone up into quote unquote space, sending up celebrities and Richard Branson has gone as well as with his rocket, but, uh, in Bezos and, uh, you know, even William Shatner went up there from star Trek. So there has been between the, the, the web telescope, which really is, uh, becoming, um, it's sending back these pictures that, that are just awesome. Awesome. They're, they're all, you, you are awestruck when you when you see them. We're, we're, there seems to be a growing interest in space again, and at the same time, when that growing interest in space happens, about us looking to the stars, looking away and and and, and exploring, then the other controversy, which was around in the sixties as well, when we were going to go to the moon. The the counter argument to us spending all this money and all this time to travel into space is, but we have enough problems here. Why can't we spend that money that you are going to space to, you know, maybe uh, collect a few rocks or something? We've got some real problems here. And certainly in 2022, when we look around the globe, there are many, many problems. Um, we are right now in a very difficult time in, in, in our culture, in our history. For mankind, uh, a lot of unstable things happening. COVID, um, the war in, in the Ukraine, and um, poverty, crime. Uh, there's there's just a lot of uh, so th- so the argument even back in the '60s was well you're spending all this money to go to the moon and yet we've got people starving here 
in the United States and around the world. So why don't we, why don't we fix our problems here first before we go out there? And it's a legitimate, legitimate, a legitimate argument. So that's been around as long as the space um, program has been around as well. Now, when you've got private companies doing it, um, it's the the argument is a little less. But you can always also argue that they're spending all that money where they could be donating donating that to charity or coming up with with uh, with social programs here to help once again people on Earth. So it's a legitimate argument. There's no question. But at the same time, I think um, as I said before, it's a part of our DNA, our inquisitiveness to find out who we are, what we are, where we come from, where we are in this universe. It's an age-old question, and, and, and we have this innate feeling to explore. And so I don't think that you should completely uh, put that aside. Um, at the end of the day, we do have the money to fix many of our problems. The question is, do we really have the will and I've talked about that several times. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think we, we can do both. We've, we've, even though we've made mistakes in space, we have, we have succeeded more than we have failed. And I think that's because the exploration of space doesn't entail the human aspect it's 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 math it's physics it's 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 verifiable it's validatable there's no theories involved in it it's all about numbers and and equations it's when you inject the human element into things where we get in trouble and that's why we have more trouble solving our social problems than we do our analytical problems because those are kind of two plus two will always equal four but in human interpersonal reaction relationships there's never one answer there's always many answers and many opinions so that's why we're really good at technology, but we, we've moved leaps and bounds. The human race has, has just grown leaps and bounds. When you think about where we came from, our, our rudimentary, rudimentary beginnings as these, you know, these, the species that was just doing what it could to survive and where we are today, leaving our atmosphere, right, and going into space. Amazing transformation and, and evolution of, of the species. And at the same time, from a social standpoint, we, we haven't really changed very much. <laughs> those, those same emotions that, that, that drive us today drove our most earliest ancestors. We are a flawed species. There's no question about that in how we deal with each other. But there is, as I said before, a, a heightened um, interest now in space again. And it's not just 
because it's been a while. I think, once again, the United States is getting influenced, if you will, or excited by or inspired by to go back into space in a more aggressive way is not just because it's the thing to do or we want to expand our knowledge or we want to uh, continue feeding our need to explore. Those are all parts of it. But once again, I think it's a competition. This time it's not with the Russians. This time it's with the Chinese. The Chinese are have made it very clear that they intend to be the, the biggest and most powerful country in the world. And they make no, they don't try to, they, they, the world domination is, you know, is what they are out to get. They're, they're, not, they're not trying to, to hide that declaration. Now, whether they think they would take over the whole world, I don't know about that. But they certainly, at, at their, 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 their most, their, their, their closest goal here is to overtake the United States as the most powerful country in the world. And, um, and so, of course, as part of that, we have established that by proof of that, our not only just your, your country's economic achievements, it's also your achievements in other areas of society. And certainly, conquering space is one of those. That's become a sort of a spike in the ground to say, well, you're not really going to be a major power, major superpower, if you, if you can't show that you, can have, you have the technology and the means to get to space. That's become now, since we did it, in 1969, that's become sort of a little checklist. How to become, uh, you know, a, a superpower in the world? Uh, you know, space exploration is one of the boxes that you have to check. And so, over the last several years, China has aggressively started its own space program, and they plan on getting to the moon. Uh oh, uh oh! Don't forget, there's a there is a there is a flag up there. I think it's still there. Hopefully it's still there. Don't forget. You know, that was important. Just just like the explorers, when they would get to a different country, they would plant their flag in, in, a, in a new land. And as controversial as that may be with all the Columbus controversy now, don't forget that Spain funded that trip. What I find interesting is Columbus is getting attacked and this is not just because i'm i have italian heritage here i'd say this if i was irish and german um columbus is getting attacked for supposedly coming to the the new world and uh you know doing terrible things to the indigenous people here and I'm not denying that any of that happened, but that was the way of the world at the time. And it's, you, once again, I've said it several times, it's hard to take people out of their own period. But my point is, um, Columbus is getting a lot of heat, but why isn't Qu Queen Isabella or Spain 
getting a lot of heat for that. For whatever Columbus did, good or bad. Because Spain funded that trip. Columbus does not have the, the, you know, the three ships. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. He doesn't have those ships to get to the New World, to do all these horrendous crimes against people as he's being uh, you know, accused of now. I mean, his, he really needs a good PR person. There's no question about that. Been a huge shift. I mean, for, for, for centuries, Columbus was viewed as the greatest explorer and this man of vision and, and, and everything. And now over the last 15 or 20 years, he's, he's, like a, he's like a villain. He's a criminal. All around the world, there are you know, statues to Columbus. And here, you know, there's, there's towns and cities and streets and everything named after him. But over the last 15 to 20 years, his image and reputation has certainly taken a hit. Here in Chicago, they've, had to, they've removed several Columbus statues that still have not come back into the, uh, the public arena. But my point is, without Queen Isabella and Spain, there is no Columbus trip. And I've got news for you. Um, you know, yeah, Queen, Queen Isabella uh, from Spain was like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, there's this whole idea of proving that the world is round, and, and th- that's great, good stuff. But, you know, when if I'm paying for this trip of yours, this, this, this educational trip that you seem to be taking, this theoretical trip, this, this, this striving for information and expansion of the human um, accomplishment, you know, Columbus may have been looking at it on that level on an esoteric level, but at the end of the day, the price tag, the bills are being paid by Spain and Queen Isabella. That's how Columbus's trek was funded. There is no Columbus. There is no trip to the New World without Spain and Queen Isabella. And because they were paying those bills, they were expecting some some bounty in return. So whatever Columbus may or may not have done in terms of exploiting people, taking resources, taking land, perhaps he did that. I don't know too much about that. But I do know that that was probably a part of the deal as to why this trip was funded by Spain, to come back with valuable resources to, to, to make paying for that trip worthwhile. Okay, we're going to pay for your trip, but you're going to bring us back some, some, some riches or whatever you find there. So it's very complex. We, we've tried to make it very uh, easy, and we've made Columbus a villain, but it's a complex issue. And I always wonder why Spain and Queen Isabella are not being brought up into this. They funded it. She funded it. There is no Columbus without her. He doesn't get to go there. Whatever whatever horrible atrocities he and his crews did, they don't happen unless Spain and Queen Isabella fund that trip. So if we're going to start pointing fingers, then everybody involved should be vilified not just columbus 
Who paid the bill? So speaking about paying the bill, we now have this new interest in space. Why? Moon's been there ever since we went up there. There is a flag up there. We put it up there, just like Columbus put the the Spanish flag in the New World. That was my point about this whole Columbus little rant here. When he got there, he stuck a flag and said, this is, I'm here for Spain. That's once again why the, the trip was funded. Same thing here. We went to the moon, and the first thing we did before we put a foot on there was put that flag up there. We, the United States views the moon as its own. But we don't own the moon. We've got a flag up there. That doesn't mean much. And for decades since, nobody's gone back up there. So we kind of view the moon as our, you know, since our flag is there, we kind of view it as our possession but it isn't it's a heavenly body and anybody can go up there if they can get there and can claim it and so to become the world's most dominant country china is looking to check that box about space travel and as i said Going to the moon is one of those boxes that you have to check. And so they plan on going to the moon and, and, and landing men on the moon. And so I believe, as much as we always want to keep exploring, I think once again we have been motivated to get back to the moon after decades of not thinking about it, after decades of of not even being impressed by it anymore. Like, okay, did that, been there, done that. Now suddenly the moon is back in our sights. And I think it's because China has it in their sights. We need competition. We, we get very blasé until we hear about somebody else doing something that we did. Then we get all excited again. So here we are now. I don't know if you've read the news of late. It's been scrapped a couple of times, but by probably hopefully by the, the end of this month in September or in early October, there is going to be um, a, a moon rocket called the Artemis, which is going to open the way, unmanned this time, but open the way for us to start to going back to the moon. And the plan is by 2024 or so to land people again on the moon. I'm not sure what the the Chinese timetable is, but that's where our timetable is. Now, once again, with this project being scrapped a couple times for different reasons right before the takeoffs, uh, we might get behind schedule again. Who knows? I don't know if the Artemis is even going to take off in October. They could scrap it, and it might be until January and push everything back. Things are already obviously pushed back. But the fact is we've got a, a, a certainly a more aggressive plan to do space travel and to land on the moon than we've ever had in the last 50 years. And it clearly seems to me to be motivated that the Chinese have their sights on the moon. So once again, now we're interested in the moon. And it, what's interesting is it's based on this, it may be based on this competition 
And you know this Artemis project alone, price tag a hundred billion dollars, a hundred billion dollars. The next time, you know, we're, we're talking about you hear any talk about um, you know budgets, and we don't have the money for this, and we don't have the money for that. You want a, you want a, a number that really sticks out. That's a hundred billion dollars, right? That's a pretty big price tag. For this, not even to land on the moon. I can only imagine how much that one's going to cost. But this Artemis project, $100 billion. And yet, do you realize as big of a, as a number as that is? And you say, my gosh, we're spending $100 billion on a rocket just to go around the moon? Once again, why don't we spend that money on infrastructure or something on, on to, you know, to make life on this planet better? Legitimate argument. But then, I don't think we even grasp how wealthy of a country we are. That $100 billion that goes to NASA for this project, this Artemis project, is a half of a percent. 0.5. A half of 1% of the U.S. spending budget. (laughs) A half of a percent. Not 50%, not 10%, not 1%. A half of 1% is $100 billion. So when you look at it that way, you say, well, is it worth for the knowledge and the exploration a half of 1% of our budget? Maybe it is. It's a hell of a lot of money, but it sounds like we have a hell of a lot of money. And it doesn't seem like we're getting very much in return for it, at least with the James Webb telescope, which is sending back these these, uh, just dazzling photos of parts of the universe we've never seen before. And if we get on the moon again in a couple of years, at least there will have been some return for the money. We, we seem to be spending a heck of a lot of money if $100 billion is just a half of 1%. When you look at the state of our country right now, we must be spending a heck of a lot of money, and I don't think we're getting much in return for it, are we? But... To get back to the uh, the space race, so we're actually we're in a space race again, and it's being certainly, uh, you know, not only is it a competition perhaps with China, but but the fact that some ridiculously rich people like Bezos and Elon Musk have formed their own private space exploration companies, I think that's also helped raise the profile of space exploration and once again may have lit a fire under nasa and our government to say wait a minute you know if uh, if these entrepreneurs can start putting rockets into space what happened to us we're supposedly the most you know powerful country in the world so there's actually two fronts now that may be inspiring us not only the space race with China to get to the moon, 
but also something of a competition with some of these privately held space companies. Once again, we always seem to need competition. We don't have that internal drive many times. We need to be driven by competition. That gets us. Winning the gold medal in hockey was a competition that showed our superiority. We needed that competition. It goes back, as I said before, to the Roman gladiators. Competition shows superiority. Not There's just, for whatever reason, internal ambition, internal drive, internal accomplishment, doing it for the sake of it doesn't seem to inspire us as much. But when we have an enemy or a competitor, wow, do we get motivated. <laughs> the goal, actually, is in, say, 2025 or so, to finally land someone on the moon. This, is this, this Artemis project is the first step to get back to the moon. And then, ultimately, the goal is after the moon, we get to the ever-elusive Mars landing that we've been talking about for 50 or 60 years or even before that. We have this fascination with Mars. And um, as Bernie Taupin wrote, I made reference to Rocket Man before, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. Yeah, it is. Here's the one thing that I find interesting in the entire space travel subject. I do think it's important as, as a species, as a human species. We've always, as I said before, had this inherent drive to explore. Uh, and I think in terms of, of, of who we are and what we can accomplish, I think it is important. And I think it does belong and does have a, a, it does have a, a validation for us to be a part of however we spend our money as a country and as a, and as a, as, as world citizens, whether it's China or anyone else. So I do think that's important for the knowledge that it brings back and for the capabilities that it, that it provides and for how it does advance our society. Maybe not socially, but certainly knowledge-wise and technology-wise. And we've seen many things from the space program come into our, our lives, many inventions, and more than just Tang, many inventions, things that were, were invented for space travel turned out to have some good uses here. So there, we all have felt and experienced benefits from that, whether we know it or not. So I do think that's valid. I do think it's valuable. But what I also think is funny is that once again, there you know, NASA is publicly funded, so there's always that that tension. There's always that push and pull between: should we really spend all this money to go out to space when here on Earth we have problems that need attention and you know immediate attention? <laughs> and so, what I find interesting, especially now again, is as the whole space movement is is gaining uh 
rocket fuel, if you will, gaining you know some traction again, you're going to start hearing those same arguments. Trust me. The more this becomes headline news, you're going to hear people, and, and as I said before, rightfully so, why are we spending all this money to go to space, to land on a moon, to grab some rocks, to maybe see if there was water there at one time and prove the ever-elusive question of is there other, was there, is there other life in our galaxy, in our universe? We're always wondering that. Man, as long as he could look up, has looked up to the stars and wondered what is going on, whether they thought weather was controlled by God or not, or, or, or some power. There's always been a question of what is out there and how does it relate to us. That's what religion's about. That's what, what, what knowledge is about. That has driven us as a species. We have looked up. And we don't know what the heck that is. And so we have begun, you know, in the last certainly 50 or 60 years to get a a, a much more clearer idea. We certainly aren't even close to any real answers, but we certainly have much more knowledge in the last 50 or 60 or 70 years than we had in the previous thousands of years. So we we have been alive and we are alive during a very exciting time for human knowledge. But once again, there comes the price tag, just as Queen Isabella had to pay for those Columbus trips. There comes a price tag, and when it's public money, the people have a right to voice their opinions on how that money should be spent. So what I find interesting is that, well, in the 60s, when we were trying to get to the moon, it was more about, let's just get there first. But now they're... There, there needs to be more, especially with social media. Everybody's opinion is being thrown out there. So there needs to be more validation and more logical reasons for it. And so we keep hearing about how there's going to be outposts on the moon or there's these 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 ambitious projects that you've read about, maybe that, that people have already volunteered that they will be going, that you know, if there ever is a Mars expedition, that they will go on it. They know that they will never come back. It's enough just to get to Mars. You can't bring anybody back. But they want to go to Mars. Everybody wants to go to Mars. And, and so even with the moon, going back to the moon, it's not, the first time it was just about getting there and bringing samples back. And once again, maybe we'll see. Now there's going to be, there would be more exploration about the craters or were these craters, was there water in there? Was there life there? How did the moon happen? There's a, there's a you know, there's a, a theory that basically the moon, uh, you know, was a result of, of, of something crashing into the earth. And that's how the moon was formed. So a lot of, once again, knowledge-based information. But, but now they're adding this other little thing about, well, we may have outposts on the moon. And there's this whole glory, glorified vision of us inhabiting other bodies and other planets. That we would actually have a society on other planets and oh my gosh how great it would to be you know to have light to, to us to actually colonize the moon for instance 
and, and live up on the moon and have people living there and going there. And, and I don't even know working there. I don't know. And then somewhere in the next century or so, going and living on Mars. And so they, they, they add this kind of fantastical um, and ambitious and uh, almost fairy tale like story of not of not now of not just going there and showing that we can do it we've proven we can get there now it's let's really do something with it and let's perhaps live there and so they're they're building up these kind of stories of how we're going to you know go to the moon and have life on the moon what what, what I find interesting here is right now in the United States especially and around the world we are hearing as as with, with Columbus and other explorers and other formerly, and, and like the, the UK, these formerly these former world powers from centuries ago are being vehemently criticized. Columbus vilified. The UK criticized for its colonization of countries, right? colonization of of one country going to another one and saying that's ours now and you're under our rule as opposed to those people living under their rule with their cultures that's what countries did they expanded once again that's why queen isabella funded columbus oh we can have an outpost on in the western hemisphere let's get one they're expanding their empires the key word is colonization and right now the word colonization is a very negative connotation for countries even today or in the past they're being criticized for their colonization the united the uk especially whether it's australia or any other country they're being criticized for their history of of taking over other countries and instilling their rule and their cultures on indigenous people right colonization what right do you have to come in and take something just because you can because you have the power to do it at the time that's what it was the the powerful companies or, or countries were expanding their empires and taking over weaker other things to amass more land to amass more wealth so the word colonization and let's not forget United States started as 13 colonies, right? Let's not forget that. We ourselves were colonies. We were born as a part of colonization. As a part of British colonization. And we broke away. But now... That word is being used once again. They may change it because the word colonization has a bad, has a bad um, meaning today. But the whole idea of always was colonizing the moon. Well, first of all, I guess the argument could be, well, we, 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 we wouldn't be overtaking an, another species because there's nothing up there. But you're still going out of your limits, out of your boundaries, and taking something 
that's out there and claiming it's yours. We we did that 50 years ago when we flew to the moon and we stuck our flag there. That was a a very outward sign of our superiority and us in some way saying that we own the moon. And so far, nobody has questioned our ownership, but maybe China will. And, I, and believe me, if China gets up there before we do and goes on the moon, the first thing they're going to do, and you're going to see a picture of it, is the Chinese flag on that moon. And that flag on that land, on that potential colony, dates back to just like Columbus and before that. And it's going to be in the 21st century. A flag is going to be planted on that moon. And it's going to be the same kind of message sent that was sent in 1492 or whenever and other explorers before that, that we got here and this is ours. Even if there are someone here before, this is ours now. And we're going to do whatever it takes. So once again, this is not about Columbus necessarily, but... Does that sound familiar? We seem to have no problem now going to the moon and colonizing that with plans to colonize that and put outposts there. I find that interesting. But here's the other aspect of it. They're, they're creating this kind of, of, of idealized world where we're going to have these shuttles going to the moon and you might even do a, you know, and this is, you know, maybe centuries away but uh you know you're going to you know vacation on the moon we're gonna we're gonna make a whole new society up on the moon or maybe even on mars and so that feeds into our excitement for this and it feeds into um public opinion then when nasa makes these big bold plans because we're creating this kind of fairy tale of what this space travel may lead to. There's some, some something of an end game. That's been the problem with NASA over the last three or four decades. They've been doing a lot of projects, but there's been no end game. So now they're talking about an end game, and the end game is we're going to live on the moon. We're going to have outposts on the moon. Maybe we will. But there's one problem with that fairy tale, with that idealized version of why we're going to go to the moon and maybe go to Mars. Do you really think that any human society that we transplant on the moon, why would it be any better ultimately in how it works than here? There's this idea that we're going to escape. I want to get off the earth and just go go somewhere else and start over. I've got news for you. I said before about why technology is opposed to social change and why technology has, 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 has expanded leaps and bounds, but socially we haven't changed much since the cavemen with our prejudices and our, and our violence against each other. In our class systems, we haven't changed much at all. Do you really believe that if we go to the moon, there's one, there's one component that 
all these idealized stories about going to the moon and having outposts and new societies on the moon and on Mars, they're not taking into account is that it's the human species. So I've got news for you. Now, once again, not trying to be negative, just being realistic. Do you really think that if we went to the moon and started outposts there, that there would be some idealized society as opposed to what is here today? No. Because you're still taking the human condition, the human brain, the human emotion, and bringing it there. So yes, it's an amazing accomplishment, perhaps, to go to another planetary body and start a community. Wow. No question. Headline-making news. But I got news for you as well, folks. It wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be utopia. There would be jealousies and competitions and all those human attributes just millions of miles away. That's the only difference. So when we hear about these outposts and all these fantastical stories, you're not hearing that, and I'm telling it to you folks, once again, I'm sorry to be the pin in the bubble. I think we should go there. It'd be great to go there and, and, and have outposts. I'm not against that, but I'm just warning you that if you think that there's going to be perfect harmony on any of these intergalactic places, there won't be because humans will be involved and we are flawed and we will bring all of our human attributes, good and bad, to those outposts. So you're, you, you, can, you can fly a million miles away, but you're not going to get away from who you are. So I think that that's funny, is that we're trying to, to present an endgame for space travel, and we're trying to create this, this, um, this Star Wars kind of thing. But Star Wars, right? Wars in the title. <laughs> so yes, it will be an amazing human accomplishment if we can get to the moon or get to Mars someday and actually have people maybe live on the moon. And we might have these, these outposts where people come back and visit and things like that. But I guarantee you it's not going to be utopia, folks. Because the human factor is involved. So you're just going to have petty squabbles and violence and jealousies and all the things that make our society so rich in its diversity are going to be happening there too. And it'd be interesting too, as I said before, in 2025, the goal is to send the first woman to land on the moon and the first person of color to land on the moon. Now, once again, I get it. You know, especially in today's world, we are very optical message sending dominated the optics are just as important if not more important than anything else in our society today the optics whether something works or not the optics of it are very important and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong but i hope that we're going to the moon 
for more real reasons, more real reasons, more real endgame reasons than just a photo op. Because if it's going to cost $200 million to get to the moon, $200 billion to get to the moon, then hopefully there is some larger reason. If it's just for the feel-good photo op of seeing a woman land on there, which is, a, it's, it, which is great, but that can't be the real underlying reason. To have a person of color land on the moon, that cannot be the only real reason we're going. I hope it isn't. I hope that, that when that happens, say in 2025 or 2026, when the first woman and the first person of color land on the moon, I hope we don't have history repeat itself. That once we beat the Russians and once we landed on the moon, that we got bored. Because we lost. We, we, have, we have fallen so far back. People in, in 1969, when we got on the moon, what they thought would happen in the next 20 years, they thought we'd already be living on the moon. If we, if we got there in 1969, the, the expectations and the predictions were by the mid-'80s, we would have these outposts that I'm talking to you about. That's now 40 years ago, they thought. So we are 50 years, 45 years behind whatever type of progress we made. We have fallen back 40 years. I hope we didn't go to the moon for the photo op. The first time. It looks like we kind of did. It looks like we, we kind of went to beat the Russians. And there was all this talk about what it was going to unleash, but it really didn't unleash anything except a photo op of Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon and that flag being pointed, being thrust into the moon. If you think about it, 50 or 60 years later, did we spend all that money on a photo op? You could make the argument. And so I just hope that this time we've learned our lesson. Fingers crossed. Yes, optics are important, but results are important. Progress is important. So we're going back to the moon to maybe beat the Chinese or at least compete with the Chinese to maybe expand our knowledge, to maybe get to the moon first, and then you get to the moon first, and that gives you enough technology, enough knowledge to then figure out, then how do we get to Mars? Hopefully going to the moon in the next couple of years has both short-term, but more importantly, long-term benefits. Hopefully. This will lead to something that is more permanent. Something that does actually fulfill a prophecy or a bold statement like when JFK made it. Ultimately, we did fulfill JFK's goal or vision or prophecy, whatever you want to call it. He said by the era, end of the decade, we'll be on the moon, and we were. So now we're hearing about all these stories about 
exploration and outposts. And those same stories were there 40 years ago and none of them happened. I hope this time we learn from history. And if we're going to spend this money and spend the human capital and the knowledge and whatever it takes to get to the moon, there will be an end result. It will be worth it. I hope it's more than just a photo op. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody that you know who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed episode number 329. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. And to the moon, Alice.